You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to Talk Back, the Dramatist Skills podcast about building the theater we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season is all about collaboration. In this episode, we talk about the Dramatist Guild's new inclusion rider and the initiatives surrounding it. This rider is the first of its kind to come out of the theater industry. Our goal is to empower and encourage dramatists to advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and anti-racism in our own works while collaborating with our producing partners towards these shared goals. Our guests are playwrights and Dramatist Guild council members Ty Defoe and Shisa Hutchinson. At the time of this recording, the Inclusion Rider has yet to be rolled out, but it's set to be introduced in a three-prong approach. And I'm so excited to talk to two of our Drama Skilled Council members and members of the Inclusion Rider Task Force. Could you please introduce yourselves, Chisa? Hi, I'm Chisa Hutchinson. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a playwright hailing from Newark, New Jersey. Thank you, Ty. Hello everyone, Ty Defoe here, pronouns he, him, his, writer, residing in New York City, Lenape Hoking, but currently here in Lands of My Peoples, the Anishinaabe people in the Great Lakes, Michigan. Thank you so much. I am so excited to talk to you about this initiative of the guilds that is really near and dear to my heart. And also to thank you for being on the task force. I wonder if uh, you could tell our listeners why we formed the task force and what compelled you to join, which for which I'm eternally grateful. Ty? This is Ty. So I think, you know, initiating this collaborative conversation, I think is it comes at a moment of deep urgent need for the field. Because I think writers have been searching for active ways to support change. So I think it's really important to partner with theaters and producers and folks that are wanting to do a, a type of shift around values of equity, diversity, inclusion. And I think you know, joining the task force, I think is important because I think it takes a diversity of voices with a plethora of ideas and a plethora of values to engage and grapple with a very, not only um, rigorous intellectual process around creating something like an inclusion writer, but creating a document that could continue to live on and be sustainable for the field to protect the rights of writers and to protect the rights of um, all people so a robust collaboration could happen. So my need to join, you know, this task force comes at a very urgent moment. Thank you. Thank you, Chisa. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Ty is talking about like the larger societal context for this because my motivations are, are mostly selfish <laughs> as, as a Black <laughs> female playwright. 
I was very interested in this initiative because I tell stories mostly about people of color, largely about women. And I, you know, I've been doing this for, for long enough to notice a, a pattern of, you know, my, my having to compromise with producers or just sort of negotiate with them on who who's going to be on my team to collaborate? Mm. Um, who are the ones who are going to help me tell the story that I'm trying to tell? And it was really important to me and to my work, like not, not necessarily just because it's like the, the, it, because it's a form of social justice, right? Which is of course really important, but also I need to say that as somebody who creates art, that's about people who have been historically excluded from this form, from this medium. It's really important to me to have the people who are most qualified to help me tell that story. And that's usually people of color or it's usually women. And so, yeah, it was, it was really important to me to, to, to feel like I could do something <laughs> about this. Thank you so much. I think the discussions that we've been having as a task force have been so illuminating and the process for finding what the elements need to be, what the puzzle pieces need to be to make it happen has been really um, robust. And, and as Ty mentioned, full of some very diverse voices. And I wondered if either one of you would like to speak about what the process has been like and the challenges that have come into that process. I think one of the biggest challenges that we faced, when we first put together the document, it was sort of with this assumption that everybody's everybody's on board with diversity. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it was and we didn't really feel like we had to like build a ramp up to, you know, mm -hmm. this idea or to try to convince people why this is why this is ultimately to their benefit. And and when we, you know, ran the idea and ran the language that we want to use in the inclusion writer by certain parties, mostly producers, we we got we got a little pushback. We got we got. Mm -hmm. um, I think folks were feeling defensive about it and feeling criticized and feeling, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, feeling fragile, you know, and feeling like, hey, we're already either we're already doing everything we can do to address this inclusion issue, right? Or, or they're like, ah, yeah, this isn't really something that we can realistically do without even really sort of thinking about, you know, steps that they could take to make it happen. So yeah, I think one of the biggest obstacles has just been the sort of the defensiveness on the, on the part of producers and the, and the feeling attacked or feeling um, judged, which is totally understandable. So we've been really working to sort of craft language around the inclusion writer that really emphasizes, hey, look, this isn't an attack. This isn't a weapon. We're not, we're not, you know, we're not coming at you to bludgeon you with it. This is just the way for the playwright to share their values, to share their values, to, to stand on a principle and to invite you as a producer, as a collaborator, right, to to stand with us on that principle. Absolutely well said. I think the spirit of collaboration has always been at the core of this, and it's been um, interesting to try to find 
ways to express that in ways that can be best heard and received. Ty, do you have any thoughts to add? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that, Christine, and she's uh, talking about utilizing something like an inclusion writer as a tool, right? Like it is a tool in service of collaboration. And also regarding your question, I think, you know, the privilege of not having to think about race, disability, mm. colonization, right, as a part of everyday lives. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the problem lies, mm -hmm. right? I think like understanding from the industry and colleagues that this inclusion writer is is a form of trying to seek collaboration beyond things that have not been historically identified on paper, right? So mm -hmm. kind of thinking about that and just being clear about those lines of collaboration too. There does have to be a point where we have to see something like an inclusion writer as a tool, as an opportunity to collaborate in an intentional and meaningful way and to say, hey, we need to try something new because something clearly isn't working for you know, many, many writers and, and dramatists, there are things that have worked, but thinking about the entire, you know, like global community of writers, like what an important tool this could be. Absolutely. I think also we've been talking about this a lot and it's, it's part of what is so exciting to me about empowering our members to advocate for what they believe in, what we believe in, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, anti-racism in our own works, while we're also reaffirming our authorial rights to choose our own creative teams and and reaching across the uh, bridge and saying will you will you join me please i'm really excited about the possibility of creating seminars webinars a class a course of something explaining what the inclusion writer is and how to use it and how to present it to producers having that be part of a larger discussion about writers rights and how they can assert them so not just who's going to be on my design team, who's going to be my director, who are we going to cast, but also actually, no, I don't have to change that line <laughs> if I don't want to. Um, no, I don't want to make that character white because you can you want to cast someone from your your acting company, right? That's not that's not the story I'm trying to tell, right? So to be able. Um, mm -hmm. To remind our to remind our members that they they are empowered to have those conversations. I think we need to offer some kind of education about what rights they have and when to have the conversation about them because that can be hella awkward, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to like scare off yes. the producer by being like, and I have rights. So, you know, I mean that's not the way to come into a collaboration, right? You definitely want to find those moments. I, I think that's that's going to be key, you know, to talk about when it's appropriate to have these conversations and, yeah, when to assert yourself and to also interrogate, you know, to also find out as much as you can about the producer, about the types of people that they like to work with. It's a it's a larger it's a larger discussion and the inclusion writer is just part of it. We'll be right back with more on the Dramatist Guild's new inclusion rider. And we're back. 
Ty and Chisa help us unpack what the inclusion rider means for artists. Here's Ty. I was thinking about the inclusion rider as an aid and or tool, in particular for dramatists who might be perceiving positional power difference with theater artistic leaders mm. who might be reluctant to start this conversation on their own. You know, thinking about new writers, thinking about historically marginalized individuals, depending on one's career, right? Mm -hmm. And how with writers in particular, depending on who you are, how that can change over the course of time, right? Depending on where you're situated and how you're situated. And I'm thinking about that as an indigenous, you know, on the trans LBGTQ plus two spirit spectrum ab about that, right? Um, to be in conversation with a writer could be helpful. So I think education is huge. I think about how do we address making these systematic changes that can continue on into the future, right? To make change now. And I heard this from someone once they said, if our stories are missing, so are we. Right? Yes, I think so I said that actually. Yeah, yes. on this podcast yeah. and that really hearing that I was, you know, Christine, I, I think about that. I'm like, wow, how amazing that could be to be thought leaders with this, this writer to engage in conversation. So I think it's a great way to to educate folks just learning about it. And for those who maybe never had to think about what inclusion is, right? It also isn't so laborious to those continuing to educate, you know, who, who are exhausted by this conversation at this moment, right? But also to share in the process of aligning values before getting into the thick of rehearsal and production, where oftentimes there is tension between artists and theater company, right? So it would help the dramatist better understand specifics of theater, even the goals and the history of a said theater, um, audience, artistic community, as well as the context of, of a particular season as the play would appear, right? Just to continue to vanguard against tokenization, right? And then I think educating theaters too, to before going into pre-production with, as Chisa was mentioning, the hiring and planning and knowing more about values of the writer and the, right. the values that the writer brings to the project that might not be apparent from the play itself, I think. So, and I also think about, as Chisa mentioned too, this just being part of the conversation like how does that then relate to designers and or director choices? So I think this writer and education could be huge conversation and continue to be. Yes, thank you so much you, for both of you for mentioning all of the actually all of the parts of these of the the approach that we're in we're endeavoring to put together. And and also the word tool is really important because it's been something that we have really been intentional about uh, saying that this is a tool that our, our members could choose to use, they could choose not to use it, but that it's uh, the language that the Business Affairs Department has created gives us a template if we need one or a jumping off point if we need one. And I think that is, is going to be really helpful to a lot of people. I want to talk a little bit more about the three-prong approach, the, the three separate but equally important aspects of the, the initiative. One, Chisa and I worked on together, which, which was a list of 
questions that a writer might ask oneself before even considering to submit their work to a specific theater. I think that a lot of us have been in the position where we just are so happy that someone wants to produce our work. We might skip that step when actually interrogating these questions could help prevent any terrible (laughs) occurrences that could that could happen later. Chisa, do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think (laughs) this this part of it is, I mean, if you think of it like dating, right? (laughs) And you (laughs) you go and you have your first date, like instead of sort of bending over backwards and trying to make yourself into something that this person might be interested in. To go into it with with this energy of like, okay, well, are you right for me? Because, you know, you're bringing something to the table. You're bringing a great play. And, you know, if they want your play, they will do things like, oh, hire the director that you would like. It's a little more complicated than that sometimes, but you have that right to assert, right? Yeah, they're just sort of giving, giving writers the that Beyonce energy, <laughs> you know, this is how I think of it like Beyonce energy who, you know, she can go do a shoot for Vanity Fair or whatever and say, absolutely, no, actually my photographer needs to be a black woman, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And my, or my photographer needs to be just somebody who knows how to like black skin. And that is this photographer here who is black and that's how it's going to be, right? You know, so to, to, let our writers know that that they they have value they have something of value and that they should enter into an exchange like it's an exchange and not a charity or Mm -hmm. just this one-sided thing and i think that once more writers start to get that kind of confidence underneath them right they will feel a lot more comfortable interrogating the companies that they're looking at or who, you know, the companies that are looking at them and sort of nudging and, and massaging <laughs> those, those companies into, into spaces, you know, sort of carving out space for themselves, I guess. Right. Right. Ty, do you have something you want to add to that? I was thinking about like this idea of barometer of comfort too. I, I think about barometer of comfort as it relates to folks who might not have the language and or words or mm. feel empowered to engage in conversation because of access, vocabulary, communication, as it were, you know, underscoring English. So all of these things I'm thinking about as it relates to that. And this writer, as Chisa was mentioning, what a great way to see how you're working together in a relationship by Mm -hmm. building formative relations. And I do think it can really empower uh, conversation dialogue. Might be a little awkward at first, but also <laughs> I think it could be really interesting to really know and understand how values are aligning at this time in particular. I think that's so important and smart because we do need to look at uh, this as a partnership. And one of the other uh, parts of the initiative is to provide language if, if one needs it 
to ask questions, specific questions of our producing collaborators so that we know where where their values are. And uh, like you said, to, to make sure that we are aligned and that we can build this project together because we can't, literally can't do it without one another. And I, I wonder, you both have mentioned the possibility slash probability of some kind of awkwardness, perhaps some defensiveness. And I wonder if there are any other drawbacks or roadblocks that you can um, foresee that we might be able to brainstorm how to navigate. Yes, go ahead, Shisa. (laughs) Or shall I call you Beyonce? Oh, sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the major obstacles that producers face is availability or um, connection to, I guess, how to how to connect with particular pools of talent that a playwright mm-hmm. might be insisting on, particularly yes. if the, those pools are full of people who have been historically excluded from mm-hmm. the mainstream theater. It's that catch-22 of, well, we want qualified people, but historically excluded people <laughs> don't have experience because they have been ex- historically excluded. And also to, uh, I think that there are qualified people who do have experience that have also been historically excluded, but they might not have access to be considered for the jobs. And and one of the things in this rider is to ask for the producers to commit to widening that access for people to be considered. And I think that's going to be an important part of this too. Yeah, absolutely. And when when companies can address that, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep thinking, I keep thinking in like sort of Machiavellian terms of, of like, how will this ultimately benefit the producer? So for writers out Mm -hmm. there who are listening, who need the language to talk about that, I just think about like how incredibly loyal, I'm just going to say Black people, like Black people are when they see a story about Black people told well, told Mm -hmm. with nuance and authenticity, which you can really only get when you've got, you know, you know, a team a symbol that knows about that life, right? When Black audiences see that, they are incredibly loyal and they will keep mm. coming back and keep coming back to a company that that would take take those pains, right? To tell our story well. Ty, would you like to comment on um, any of the, the roadblocks or drawbacks we might encounter and how we might navigate that, those? Sure. I was thinking about it more like if the inclusion writer isn't used mm. by a collective of writers, that this moment could become quite irrelevant, right? Mm. So I think the power and the abundance model theory is utilizing the writer to create shift in the culture. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was viewing the inclusion writer in that way. And I think that being said, I think the roadblocks, I think, wow, what a great way to make theaters culturally vibrant and relevant by engaging in conversations that folks might not have had in the past, right? We are at a time right now of 
of just engaging in conversations. And as Chisa was mentioning, bringing various audiences, Black audiences, Native audiences, you know, API community Mm -hmm. audiences, disability audiences together and artists together. Because, I mean, there's a reason why we are also here on this podcast during this time of the global pandemic, being able to think about how to to culture shift and and change the field of theater. And I do think there is such a great agency that writers have to educate selves and to engage in in the conversation with the writer. So I I don't know. I think the drawbacks are the um, not using, I think. Yeah. I, I also think about, you know, what colonization has done to our minds and ways mm. of continuing to contribute to the status quo, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The fear that might be out there of mm-hmm. using something like an inclusion writer. But you know what? Why not try? Why not try right. it? Because as you said, Christine, and leading the charge on this, it is a living document right. that must change. Right. Because the world changes, theater changes. Every second. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. I think it's it's so important to look at this as an opportunity to move beyond the status quo, like you say, and and really be brave and bold and lead our way into the next chapter of of how we're telling stories and and who gets to tell them and through whose lenses and and all of those good things. Theater companies need to start thinking of people of color, Black people, disabled people. I mean, like people who have been historically excluded, like um, the companies need to start thinking of like, like, like the Democrats do come election time, you know, <laughs> like really need to start courting us and, and thinking, thinking about us like we're the future mm-hmm. because we are that we're what is it we're going to be the majority like people of color anywhere are going to be the majority by what 2040 so you know get on that bandwagon <laughs> get it on the ground floor so yeah but if you are you know a big reputable theater company that's only been catering to predominantly white audiences then where are you going to yeah. be <laughs> where where are you going to be? Yeah, I think also, you know, people have been um, making efforts mm-hmm. to welcome us all in, but maybe not necessarily considering that they're welcoming us in on their terms without considering what else needs might need to be in place so that we actually do mm-hmm. feel welcomed, right? I wrote a play called Somebody's Daughter that's a predominantly Asian cast. And mm-hmm. I got a mock-up of the ad that was just, uh, it was like offensively lazy. It was, it was just basically like a, a graphic of like Chinese paper lanterns that were, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. what the wow. hell does that have to do with the play? Did you read the play? Or did you read the play? <laughs> the play is about culturally sanctioned gender bias, you know? <laughs> Like, and how much mm-hmm. that sucks. So what is what are these what what do these lanterns have to do with anything? And I just and it, and <laughs> because we all have we all have paper lanterns in yeah, our Asian homes, you know, didn't you know? And that? I'm just look, I'm only a quarter Japanese. <laughs> like, that's not, 
for all intents and purposes, I am a black woman, right? But, you know, a quarter of me was highly offended. And um, I just, I was like, can we get someone who can speak authentically to the experience that I'm trying to portray, who can capture that in a graphic or an ad? Like, can we get mm. someone who has the background and who knows that experience maybe in their marrow? Like, can we get somebody who, 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 who can do that, <laughs> you know, um, without right. my little self having to like explain to them why I literally had to go into like stock images to find something more appropriate myself. And I really wish that I'd had something like the inclusion writer before I got into that or that I had taken a seminar about how to enter into that collaboration, right? Um, which requires a very mm. particular set of people with a very particular set of experiences that would inform things like marketing and costumes and <laughs> lighting. And, you know, and hope, yeah. yeah, hopefully it would prevent you from having to educate the entire team, right? Ty, I'd love to hear any of your thoughts always. Jesus, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I, I'm like, ah, because I feel like there are so many stories. Like if we could like make this collective archive, there'd be so many stories to share about how, I guess, non-inclusion is happening in each, in each writer's life. For a long time, people have expected the mistreatment and marginalized individuals to sacrifice themselves to make things whole, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like always the burden of those working towards racial injustice is laid on the people bearing the brunt of injustice and not necessarily the powerful people who maintain it. And also, you know, I, I say this noting that it just happens without even being spoken about oftentimes, right? But those that are experiencing it can really like speak to it or tell these specific stories. Thank you so much. I, I want to close with this last question for now about how you think this whole initiative might be able to shift our relationships with our producing partners. I think the relationships are already shifting. I, I'm just, I'm just going to speak for me. The pandemic definitely, definitely, um, gave me a lot of time to reflect on the kinds of theaters that I want to be supporting or that I want to be working with. And this writer really just concretizes that for me in a way that is practical. And I mean, not for nothing, but I mean, I, I can use it not only to say, hey, this is a thing that's really important to me and that is important to my work, mm -hmm. but to also, you know, filter out <laughs> companies and producers who who don't share my values who can't understand why these things are important to me it's self-selecting right it's okay you're not on board then you're not going to do this play it's scary <laughs> right it's a mm -hmm. scary thing mm -hmm. to 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 be like well i'm gonna go out there and the very deliberately limit my opportunities is what it's going to feel like, right? 
As someone who has actually worked with companies, gone through the very long <laughs> and taxing production process with companies that didn't necessarily share my values on the inclusion front, I have to say, I'm not sure that I would do it again. I'm not sure that it was worth it. Any production opportunity that demands that you sacrifice a piece of your mm -hmm. identity that's important to you is probably not worth it. And the inclusion writer is a great way, I think, to help writers figure that out. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I th and I think there is great power in knowing that being in partnership with a company that shares your values is something you deserve to have. And um, hopefully this will help people have those tools to, to reaffirm that. Ty. Christine, I love that you said that you deserve. And I think that's so important in, in this conversation mm. because I think about what one hears versus what one understands, mm. right? The inclusion writer galvanizes everybody to speak the same language. But, you know, they say if it's un unless it's written down, it's not true, right? Mm. And that's essentially to historically what things have been built upon so it's intentionally gathering values to be like on the page and as writers and dramatists and folks dealing with contracts and that becomes so important and in particular I think it is um, making those things true and I also want to uplift individuals too regionally who might be in the you know in rural communities in Iowa you know the dramatist is um across the entire nation of Turtle mm -hmm. Island folks in Oregon and California and Texas, right, where something like an inclusion writer might be highly beneficial to, to use. And there's a type of um, power in this tool for anyone as it relates to age or gender or mm -hmm. race or disabilities. So I was thinking about that and also the, the educational benefits to, to culture shift and change. I often think about cultural competency and how it can really help producers and, and artistic directors and writers, but also every individual that interfaces with the piece that is going to, you know, be presented and or read, how important it is. Thank you to Ty and Chisa. To read more about the Inclusion Writer and to download a copy, visit www.dramatistsguild.com. Ty is at Ty Defoe on Twitter. And you can learn more about Chisa's work at www.chisahutchinson.com. To hear all our episodes, you can find us on the Broadway Podcast Network or Apple Podcasts. Please be sure to rate us and leave a review. Talkback is a production of the Dramatists Guild of America. It's produced by Amy Von Masick, Sarah Storm, and me, Christine Toy Johnson. Robert Delaney Prime mixes our show. Our theme music is by Andrea Daly. The Dramatists Guild Presents Talkback is distributed by the Broadway Podcast Network. Let us know what you thought about the episode by using hashtag DGTalkback. As always, to be continued.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.